are some stories that are so bizarre that you can only respond with shock and unbelief. It breaks our categories and reinvents how we are supposed to think about God. These stories happen when we hear about a horrific event that is happening to someone, and we imagine at a a distance as to what they might be going through and how they are reacting to this really bizarre thing that is happening to them. But then God interrupts our lives with something unsuspected and unwanted. Now it's our minds that are racing as we try to understand. What is happening to us is so cruel. It is beyond belief. It can even appear to be comically cruel. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee. I have an article here that I want to share with you. And this article... This article is my sermon notes from a sermon that one of our teaching pastors preached a few weeks ago, and it's been on my mind uh, since then, and I I thought even as he was preaching it that this is probably going to turn into a podcast. Well, here we are. But it's also an article, and so if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, because this applies to all of us, then I, I want you to read the article. It's not that long, and then I want you to listen to this podcast, of course. And then as a as an added bonus, if you want to listen to him or watch our pastor uh, teach this, then you're welcome to do that. I have a link here that will take you right to our church's website, and you can watch this sermon as he preached it, the very sermon that I heard and from which I have written out this article. The title of the article is, When the Terrifying Call of God on Our Lives Seems Comically Cruel. I will explain that in just a moment, but I I did want to just mention a couple of things. One, uh, I talked about in a recent episode of Life Over Coffee that uh, I was teaching in Sarasota, Florida, and a lady found my teaching to be extremely boring, and she said it out loud in front of Lucia, and it was really it was really funny, uh, we both thought. Well, Heather also found it funny, and she sent a note uh, saying that she found it funny. So, Heather, I'm, I'm glad that you found uh, the lady's comment about me being boring, uh, funny, and but more importantly, thank you so much for listening uh, to our podcast. That means you're listening, and that's what I like to hear. And then Deborah wrote in, and uh, she listened to, I think it was the same podcast, actually, but in that podcast, I talked about a man's leadership, that he should be looking in two directions. Uh, he should be looking out on the prairie as he is leading, forging ahead, Uh, But he also needs to be looking back home as well, understanding his wife. If you want to lead well, then you, well, you have to understand the people that you are leading. And I talked about the man having to look in two different directions. And Deborah said that she appreciated that podcast, but she wanted to talk to Lucia about submission. Well, you can do that. And so, Deborah, if you want to talk to Lucia, then go to our forums and you can do that. It's the only place in the world that you can chat with us. Our ministry has grown to the degree that we can't use our social media platforms for conversations with people. We're not in that place anymore. And I think most people understand that. And so our social media platforms are unidirectional where we put stuff out there. But 
if your question is that vital to you, if your question is really, really important, then you'll do what we ask, and you will come and ask your questions in the only place that uh, we are able to respond. And we will not turn you away. We will be more than happy to respond to your questions. And so, Deborah, if you want to talk to Lucia, uh, she doesn't write. She doesn't do public speaking. She doesn't interact on our forums, but uh, she'll, she'll answer your question. Uh, she'll do that. And so you can you can ask for those of you who have um, written a review for this podcast. Thank you so much. For those of you who haven't, would you take the time and do that? Would you give us a five star rating and write a nice review? Because it helps us to do what we do. We give these resources away freely. We exist to equip Christians with life-changing resources so they can help others. That's why we exist, and you can help us to reach many more people. And a simple way to do that, in addition to supporting our ministry, uh, is to go out and, and write reviews on the podcast platform in which you listen to uh, the podcast. And so if you would do that, I would appreciate it. All right. So if you want to read this article, then please go to our website. The title is When the Terrifying Call of God on Our Lives Seems Comically Cruel. Sometimes when these things happen, it sounds like this. Well, this is how it sounded for me anyway. What in the world, God, Is this a joke? Are you for real? I I tried to do the right thing. I never cut corners. My desire has always been to follow you, but this is what I get? Now, maybe none of you have said that out loud, but I know many of you have thought that because we have an expectation of what Christianity is supposed to be like when we sign up for it, and then things happen, things that we did not expect. And it just seems not just cruel, it just seems comically cruel. And that's why I say, is this a joke? I mean, are you kidding me? And this was my story. In my second year of Bible college in a world far, far away, another lifetime ago, I was pursuing hard after the Lord. I was sincere as I could possibly be, and my family fell apart. It was one of those you've got to be kidding me, moments, which is the intent behind the comically cruel title to this podcast and the article, when the terrifying call of God on our lives seems comically cruel. It's so bad that only hyperbole can describe what is happening to you. Now, perhaps you have a similar story where the temptation could be to think that God is playing a game with you. Maybe it was your marriage that fell apart shortly after the honeymoon. For others, it was an unexpected miscarriage. As you were ascending the heights of hope and anticipation and expectation in a moment, Without warning, you're plummeting to the depths of unwanted despair. It is in those moments where you might say, are you kidding me? You're so surprised that you instinctively suggest that what is happening to you has to be a joke. 
Now, we hear the other side of this expression, especially for those who are, who are familiar with sports, when the athlete does the phenomenal, when the athlete does the miraculous and, and brings his team from the brink of defeat with the miraculous play, the sports commentator would say, are you kidding me? As they hype it up. And we all are are sucked into that, the gravitational pull of the enthusiasm and the excitement and the hyperbole. It just transcends for just a moment and and the announcer punctuates it by by saying, Are you kidding me? as he's trying to fully grasp what is happening. Well, that's fine, and we understand that. But then when the tables turn to where we're not pulling the team out from defeat with a miraculous play, but something horrific is happening happening to us, it can feel comically cruel. If you want to follow Christ, your expectations must come under the sovereign hand of the Lord's crushing. Now, that's a hard sentence for all of us to adapt our minds to. But the truth is, God raises us from the dead, and then he has to kill us as we die to ourselves because we bring all of this baggage into our new life with Christ. And so there has to be a death, a, a death process, a cross-carrying process, a crushing, if you will, a crucible of, of suffering. And there are no exceptions to this rule because none of us can know God the way we must know Him without Him removing the necessary things that might confuse how we think about Him. Because of the love of God, He must reorient how we think about Him, which sets the stage for confusion. Our initial response to trouble Are you kidding me? Now, I want to give you an illustration of this from the book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 6, and if you want to read this passage, you can make a note of it now, perhaps go back to it later. It would be a phenomenal passage to read in addition to listening to this podcast reading the article that I'm presenting to you here, and even going and listening to our lead pastor's sermon about this passage in Mark 6, starting in verse number 7 down to verse number 30. Now, in this passage, there are three things that happen. The first thing, in Mark 6, 7, Jesus calls the 12 disciples. He gives them authority to go out and just do the work of the ministry. And then, in a kind of a weird turn, he there's this story that Mark inserts about the death of, of John the Baptist, about John being beheaded. And then, in Mark 6.30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so this is a weird sequence in Mark's narrative about the life of Christ and the apostles. Uh, the apostles are called, they're given authority, they're sent out, and then boom, John the Baptist loses his head. And then right on the heels of that, the apostles return, talking about all the things that that they have done. Now, this is a writing style. 
And this is a writing style that Mark has. And what I just described to you is called the Mark and Sandwich. And for those of you who have studied the book of Mark, you're familiar with this term. The Mark and Sandwich sounds exactly like it is exactly the way it sounds. It is a literary device that Mark employs to strengthen his points. And so in this passage that I just shared with you, you see, now he uses the Mark and Sandwich repeatedly throughout uh, his short book. But in Mark 6, verses 7 through 30, you see this literary device, the Mark and Sandwich, where the Lord calls the disciples, sends them out in verse 7, After a stunning time of healing and other miraculous work, they return in verse 30 to tell Christ about all that they had done. But between verses 7 and 30, Mark inserts in his sandwich the execution of John the Baptist. It's a surreal insertion of a horrific story about the greatest man born of a woman. Now, that was Jesus' testimony of Christ. He said that in Matthew eleven eleven. He said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Well, the, John the Baptist was... He was on the elite team. This is the A team. This is the number one guy born of a woman announced, testified by Christ. He was the greatest of the great. He was everyone's hero, except, of course, for those in power, the political elite. And so John's death and the way he died could not be more antithetical to the call of the apostles and the victories of these disciples. Here we have Jesus giving them authority to go out, and we are just ascending, 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 and you know great things are going to happen. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's this insertion of this horrific event. And so we have to ask the question, what is Mark trying to tell us in this Markan sandwich? You see, most Christians have an idea of how things should go if they choose to follow Christ. Nobody thinks about God bringing you to the edge of the precipice to look over into an unhealthy, unpredictable, seemingly unscripted, and terrifying life. But when you consider the death of the greatest man born of woman, we must rethink how we think about God's call on our lives. Can you think of a time in your life when God took you through a trial that felt comically cruel? Are you kidding me? Many of you have a story about a past trial. Others of you are in that place today. The challenge is to keep from rescripting God according to our expectations rather than understanding him for who he is. For John the Baptist, he was sitting in a jail cell 
as a drunken king was making an irrevocable promise to a reckless girl. Now, that's for the man who was the greatest of the great. Now, for the rest of us on the B team, the bench warmers, we are confused about what is happening here. What we thought God would do and and what he is doing, it rocks our faith when it happens to us. And when these doubts come, we have to be honest about how we think about our trial, about how we think about our sovereign Lord. Perhaps what is happening to you does not compare with John the Baptist, and I think most of us would be in that group of not comparing to what happened to John the Baptist. But whatever the Lord is working in you, it is essential for your Christian faith. Perhaps you are going through a a season of anger. Maybe you're going through a season of uselessness that you can't find your voice or your place or what you're supposed to be doing in God's world. Maybe you have been placed on the shelf. Maybe there's other thoughts that crowd out the work of the Lord in your life. But regardless of what is happening to you, The primary thing you must see is that the Lord is suffocating your idols and giving life to your faith. There's a duality here. There's a simultaneous action when we find ourselves in the crucible where the unexpected and the, the unscripted is happening to us. The Lord is suffocating our idols and he's giving life and breath, and animation to our faith. For example, a few of those idols could be the idols of expectation, the idol of predictability, the idol of control, the idol of certainty. I'll break them down in just a moment. But perhaps you're thinking of something else, that when the pressure has come into your life, When the horrific event has arrived at your doorstep, if God is identifying an idol in your life, then he wants to suffocate that idol. But simultaneous to suffocating it, he wants to give life and animation to your faith. Now, I mentioned four idols just to get the ball rolling, to get you thinking uh, down this lane of idolatry. The idols were expectation and predictability and control and certainty. For example, the idol of expectation is is prescribing the kind of life that you expect from the Lord. I'll I'll be honest with you. When I was sitting in my second year of Bible college, it was right now in this season. My wife left on April the 8th, which would be from this podcast 21 days ago, 33 about 33 years ago. And so it was at this season when I was thinking, in fact, what I shared with you earlier was accurate. What in the world, God? Is this a joke? Are you for real? I've tried to do the right thing. I never cut corners. My desire has always been to follow you. But this is what I get? Well, 
I had an expectation. I was mapping my expectation over onto God. And, and so our expectation, though it can be a good expectation, can become idolatrous because, and you will know, that when it begins to disappear or God crushes it or knocks it down and we are disoriented and confused and lost, then we have erected an idol of expectation. I, me- I mentioned predictability. The idol of predictability puts plans to our expectations for how we want our lives. And so expectations is more of a concept in our mind. Predictability, now we're starting to put plans in place for the kinds of expectations that we want to derive from our lives. And the idol of predictability can it, it can be all controlling and it can uh, mute how we should be hearing from God. The idol of control is the person who must manage all aspects of his life. And we, we all struggle with that one. And then the idol of certainty, the idol of certainty is the formulaic Christian who knows how things ought to be. And so whatever it is, when when a horrific event is coming into your life, you have to know that God is doing a a greater work uh, in your life. Let me give you an illustration of this out of Deuteronomy 8. Our pastor mentioned this. It's a wonderful passage. I'm going to read it to you and then give you a translation of it that I trust will help. This is the passage of Scripture where the Lord is talking to them about the manna that they received. Here is Deuteronomy 8, verse number 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And so God brought something into their life, and he gave them, he gave them something they did not know, manna. They did not know what manna was. Their fathers did not know what manna was. But God had to bring them to a place to give them something that they did not know. And so the text says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's a translation. When we begin to know what we need to know, when, I'm sorry, we begin to know what we need to know, when we begin to know what we don't know is what we need to know. Now, that's some version of how our pastor presented it to us, and it's a, it's a head spinner, so let me repeat it because this is what that passage is teaching. See, God had to bring them up to a place to introduce them to something they did not know so that they could learn something that they did not know. We begin to know what we need to know When we begin to know what we don't know is what we need to know. We only begin to know what we need to know when we begin to know what we don't know. There are elements of our idols. By the way, you can go to the article and just stare at these two sentences that I just shared with you. And in time, they will make sense. They really will. And it will be profound, by the way, if you haven't gotten it already.
But there are elements of our idols that must die before we can know what we need to know. You see, we don't know things. We don't have categories for the things the Lord wants us to know. And so the Lord has to bring us to places to recognize that we don't know what we need to know, and only when we know what we don't know will we know correctly. Thus, we begin to know what we need to know when we begin to know what we don't know. In the Deuteronomy passage, they did not know that they needed to know that they don't live by bread alone. Of course, this was the passage that our Lord quoted when he was in the midst of his trial, which gives us a clue how to endure our trials. Trials, That is, forgetting what you know and learning to know what you must know. You see, we have the idol of expectation, predictability, control, certainty. That's what we know. And what we don't know, well, God has to break us down so that we realize that we don't know what we need to know. And when we learn to know what we need to know, then we know what we know. In the Deuteronomy passage, we need to know that we cannot live by bread alone. We need to know that God will put us in places to break our idols, our over-reliance on bread. And as he breaks our idols, our over-reliance on bread, you cannot live by bread alone, it releases us to know something we did not know. After we finally learn what he wants us to know all along, then perseverance ensues. In a word, we must know that we need God and his words more than we need our daily manna in our respective wildernesses, whatever those wildernesses are. The point in Mark 6 is not some random story that appears comically cruel and out of place. Mark is painting a picture of an even more comically cruel act The foolishness and weakness of God acted out on Adam's tree, Christ being crucified. The cross of Christ stretches every human brain to forget what they think they know about God and to learn to know how God operates so we can be set free. As you reflect on your life and the broken idols that God has been suffocating, what did you learn Did you learn that you don't know what you need to know? What are you learning? It is the crucible of suffering where all that we thought we knew goes through a re-examination, redefinition, and relaunching into God's world. What weird story has the Lord inserted into your life to let you know that you do not know all that you need to know so you can know what you don't know? The title of this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you, When the Terrifying Call of God on Our Lives Seems Comically Cruel. I want to wrap up by asking you just a couple of questions. Number one, if you were to interview John the Baptist, which you may be able to do sometime in your future, by the way, 
But if you were to interview John the Baptist right now, before you actually interview him, speculate how he would describe his life and death. Speculate how he would describe his life and death. I mean, be honest. How would John the Baptist describe this, the life that he had, the calling on his life, the horrific ending to his life? If you were to interview him, speculate. Describe how he would talk about it. Number two, if you were to interview yourself, how would you describe your life? Are you learning what you could not learn without your trials? How comparable would your interview with yourself and your interview with John the Baptist be? How would they align? Where would they mesh and where would they be polarizing? Number three, what are some of the things the Lord taught you after he interrupted your expectations, your predictions, your control, or your certainties? Would you be willing to share some of those thoughts with a friend? And then finally, one final question. Have you changed into something because of the crushing of your life? Have you changed into something that has the aroma of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit you see in Galatians 5, through 23, you know it well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you changed into something that has that aroma? Are you emulating those elements of the fruit of the Spirit? When the terrifying call of God on our lives seems comically cruel. If you'd like to chat about this, please come to our forums and let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.